The sermon text is the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. At that time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. He answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all perish too. Or those 18 who were killed when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all the people living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all perish too. He told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he said to the gardener, look, for three years now I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and I have found none. Cut it down. Why even let it use up the soil? But the gardener replied to him, Sir, leave it alone this year also until I dig around it and put fertilizer on it. If it produces fruit next year, fine. But if not, then cut it down. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. At the opening of today's Gospel, a crowd tells some very sad news to our Savior Jesus. And as far as I can tell, this is the only place, any historical record, that this event is recorded. It's only here in St. Luke's Gospel. So we only know as much about this as the Holy Spirit tells us here, that for whatever reason, the Roman governor Pontius Pilate ordered the slaughter of Jewish people while they were worshiping in the temple in Jerusalem. And when we hear this sad news from two millennia ago, it might remind us of some tragic news stories that we are more used to today. Terrorist attacks, mass killings, mass shootings, anytime the rage of a human being strikes out and causes pain and death for somebody else. We are, we are familiar with these kinds of stories too. Uh, later in the gospel, Jesus mentions another current event that is also very sad, and, and this one might remind us more of like a pileup on I-95 or an accidental apartment fire. A tower in Siloam had fallen on and killed 18 people. Now in this case, there is probably no malicious intent involved. It is probably not anybody's fault, but it's still a tragic story, and we are also very familiar with stories like these. How did you notice, though, something fascinating in this gospel after the crowd tells Jesus about what Pilate had done? Did you notice that Jesus does not even wait for the crowd to ask the question, Why? Jesus is the Son of God, the maker of human beings. He has taken on human flesh. Jesus knows that when these kinds of tragic things happen, human beings always want to know the reason why. So he knows some kind of question like this is coming. Well, if God loved those worshipers in the temple and he can do anything, then why didn't the Lord just step in and stop this somehow? And you know that tower in Siloam, why didn't God just suspend the laws of physics for a little while so it could collapse at night when there was no one around and not during the day when there would be people to get hurt? People always want to know why these kinds of things happen, so Jesus does not even bother to wait for the question to be asked. 
And that question, why tragedy, is probably better handled in a 15-week Bible study course than it is handled in a 15-minute sermon. However, in today's gospel, Jesus does provide us with one of the many biblical answers to that question. And he also gives us one possible explanation for tragedy that is incorrect. It is not a reason why these kinds of things happen. So let's start with the explanation that some people want to leap to when things like this happen, but it is actually not correct. And that is that if a person suffers in a tragedy, somehow they had it coming to them more than any other human being. Now, of course, we all have death coming to us eventually because we are all sinful. But what I mean is, if I hear like the story of a pedestrian getting hit by a truck, I should not suppose that he got hit because somehow he is worse in God's eyes than I am. And on the flip side of that, if I make it to the age of 90 without a scratch on me, I should not assume that I'm somehow better than everybody else or I've lived a more God-pleasing life. The Lord simply does not deal in karma that way. And we know that he does not deal in karma that way because his own son tells us so. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? I tell you, no. Or those 18 that were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all the people in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. Okay, so that is one reason not why these things happen. But that still leaves the question, why? And there are lots of different answers to that in the Bible, but the one that Jesus gives us in today's gospel is this. One of the reasons God allows these kinds of things to happen is to remind us to repent. But unless you repent, you will all perish too. And this, the Son of God says twice. So, when I hear tragic news of someone suffering illness or suffering death, the right thing for me to, re to remember is that I am just as sinful as that person. They did not have this coming to them any more than I did. And someday, I am also going to perish like that person. It may happen tomorrow in an accident, or it may happen 50 years from now in a nursing home, but I am sinful too, and someday God is going to call my number. And when he does, I need to be ready. Whether it's tomorrow or 50 years from now, I need to be ready with a heart of repentance so that when my time comes, my death will be only physical and I will live on in the kingdom of heaven. But unless you repent, you will all perish too. So let me ask you then, when you hear these kinds of sad stories, and we hear them all the time, is the first thought to go through your head when you hear a story like this, is your first thought, gee, I really ought to take this opportunity to repent of my sins to make sure that I'm ready when my time comes. You know, we live in a constant news cycle where we have access to news, most of it bad news from all over the world all the time, and we hear these things all the time to the point where I think we've become pretty desensitized to it, and we don't really react to it very much at all anymore. Now this crowd, at Jesus' time, they probably were not used to hearing about these kinds of things nearly as much as we are. It might have rattled them a lot, but you and me, these things just kind of slide right off of us now. And if we do react, 
when we hear a story like this. It might be just to try to pry into the mind of God and get some answers that he's not giving us. Okay, God, if it's not karma, if they didn't have it coming to them any more than me, then why? What is your explanation, God, for why you are doing this? Demanding answers from God who doesn't owe us any answers, that might be a reaction that we have. But to say I should repent, probably not so much. And yet the Son of God in today's Gospel does tell us that is one of the reasons that God allows these things to happen. So that those who survive will remember their own mortality, remember to repent of their sins, so that one day when they die, it will only be a physical death and they will live with God in heaven. Now in the Gospel today, Jesus states this negatively. But unless you repent, you will all perish too. But it is also true that in many places, Scripture tilts this in a positive and promising direction. Repent, and you will live. Yes, of course, you are going to die physically because your body is infected by sin, but even then, you will live in the heavenly kingdom, and your body will rise again. So why is it that Scripture from cover to cover, equates repentance with life. Repent equals live. Because repentance starts by taking an honest look at our sinfulness as human beings. With a repentant heart, I will look at all the things that I have done that are rotten, that I should not have done, and I will also look at all of the good things that God wanted me to do that I simply did not do. And honestly, many of those may be things that I'm not even aware. I didn't even notice those opportunities when they came around. True repentance will look at impure thoughts and thoughtless words that have hurt other people. And repentance will go even farther than that. Repentance will also admit the sinfulness that I am. Not just the sin I do, but the sin I am that I was born in sin and I have a sinful nature that's going to cling to me for as long as I live in this world. Repentance starts with an honest, full look at sin. But repentance does not stop there. Repentance then picks up all that sin, all the sin that I have committed and all the sin that I am, and it drops that sin, all of it, at the cross of Jesus Christ, where he washes it all away with his blood. And then the repentant heart will also return to the waters of baptism and remember how the Holy Spirit gave me faith there, brought the forgiveness, love of Christ into my heart. Repentance will come to Jesus' supper and receive the price that he paid to wash those sins away. In short, repentance is always looking to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And this is why God in his word equates repentance with life. Because when you take your sin and drop them at Jesus' cross, he not only removes those sins, he removes the condemnation, the eternal punishment that those sins deserve, and he replaces it with life. Repentance is the end of eternal death, and it is the beginning of eternal life. But repentance does even more than this. After it turns to Jesus with all sin for full forgiveness, it then turns away from those sins in our lives. 
Repentance strives to abandon the sin that our Savior Jesus had to suffer and die for, and instead to live more and more for the will of God. And the Bible calls this renewed life of a Christian the fruits of repentance. And now Jesus teaches us about it in a brief, compact little parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So already we see one very important thing about these fruits of repentance, and that is God is looking for them. He does want to see them in the lives of his people. And when those fruits of repentance are not there, it's a really bad sign. It's a sign that either that person's repentance is fading or it has already faltered. So he said to the gardener, look, for three years now I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and I have found none. Cut it down. Why even let it use up the soil? Two things to notice here. First thing, God is extremely patient as he waits for these fruits to appear in our lives. I mean, three years. That is a seriously long time for the owner of a vineyard to wait for a tree to start producing fruit. God is very patient. But the second thing to notice is that trees that do not eventually produce fruit, they finally do end up in a bad place. Cut it down. Why even let it use up the soil? So God's patience does not last forever. But the gardener said to him, Sir, leave it alone this year also until I dig around it and put fertilizer on it. If it produces fruit next year, fine. But if not, then cut it down. So, even more patience. Give it a fourth year. But again, on the end of that, there is the warning again. Eventually, there is going to need to be fruit. So, as God's people, as repentant Christians, this is what we need to do. First, we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is the gardener who works on our hearts so that we produce these fruits. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus' love, that is what the Spirit uses to work on our hearts. So here's what we need to do. We need to let the Holy Spirit work on us with Jesus' love over and over and over again and let him do it in all the rich variety of ways that God extends the love of his Son to us. The love of Christ is in God's word, in poetry, prophecies, letters, and stories. The Bible is a huge, rich book, and the love of Christ is all over the place, and it's standing front and center. Use it, and the Holy Spirit will be working on your heart with Jesus' love. And every day you go back to the waters of your baptism and remember how the Spirit put the love of Christ in your heart on that day, and the Holy Spirit will be working on your heart. You come to communion and literally taste and see what Jesus sacrificed for the forgiveness of his sins and the Holy Spirit will be working on you. This is what we need. And then, with the love of Christ in your heart, just look at your life under God's commandments and where you need to improve under the law of God, go for it. So, for example, if you've been stealing money, or stealing from your boss by slacking at work, well, knock it off. Be content with the money that God is giving you and put in a good day at work. If you have been rude or obnoxious to your spouse, stop doing that. Say you're sorry and try to make it up to her with candy or poetry or whatever it is that you people do. If you've been greedy, 
and you've been hoarding your money lately, stop doing that. Be generous and give some of your money away. Now, I understand all of this sounds overboard, basic and simple, right? All of this sounds very obvious. But there's actually really strong biblical precedent for keeping the fruits of repentance very simple. Now, when the people of Judea went out to John the Baptist and they asked him, what should we be doing to bear the fruits of repentance? He did not give them a long speech. He told the crowds, if you have extra clothing, give it to someone who needs it. He told the tax collectors, stop stealing. And he told the soldiers, don't rob people. This does not have to be complicated. The fruits of repentance are usually very easy. Just look at God's law, his commands for your life, and where you need to do things better, go for it. But do not go for it alone. Go for it with the love of Jesus in your heart. God has turned you to your Savior in repentance for the forgiveness of your sins. Let the Holy Spirit keep working on your heart with Jesus' love and then show the fruit in your, love, in your life that God wants to see. Amen.